Hello, and welcome to the Rock God's Living Funeral Podcast. I'm Alan Lyons. Now, during our last podcast, the conversation turned to discussing the Rolling Stone list of their top 100 songwriters of all time, and John mentioned that Joni Mitchell had cracked the top 10. And John and I briefly spoke about the possibility of me doing a podcast about Joni Mitchell. Now, I'm a huge Joni Mitchell fan, and with her horrible health, a recent stroke in Morgellons syndrome or Morgellons disease, the timing is obviously right to pay her tribute. But as I started to think about it and sketch out what the podcast discussion could look like, it became clear that doing one on Joni Mitchell was going to present some difficulties and challenges. The first challenge is time. On the Rock God's Living Funeral podcast, we try to keep the podcast relatively short and compact. And to do so, we try to focus on just one or two aspects of an artist's legacy. Well, that's an immediate challenge for me because I really don't think that I can just speak about one aspect of Joni Mitchell. She just means too much to me The music is just too important to me. The other challenge is that Joni's story, from my perspective, is really personal. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I know I'm not alone in that, where you feel like the story of her music is your own story in many ways. So how can I talk about her music without it being completely autobiographical? But as soon as John mentioned it, part of me knew that I was going to go ahead and do it. Hopefully we can do it in a way that is not just meaningful to me, but is meaningful to you too and enjoyable and entertaining. Joni Mitchell to me is like my godmother. Ever since I was 14, 15 years old, she's been a real constant in my life. But I'm not going to start there. Where I'd like to start is a YouTube video clip that I became aware of just a few years ago. It's a clip from a CBC folk music show called Let's Sing Out. And on this particular episode, they were filming at the University of Winnipeg. The year was 1965. On stage for this episode was Dave Van Ronk, the Chapin Brothers, and a very young, beautiful folk singer introduced as Joni Anderson from Saskatoon. So she was 21 or 22 years old at the time of this TV show. And she was introduced as a woman who writes her own music. Imagine that. So a very young woman surrounded by all men in a male-dominated world, certainly in a male-dominated folk music scene, where women were seen as just singers. Now in the mid-60s during the folk music revival, there was a very puritanical streak to the music. In fact, on this episode, the Chapins brought along a drum set and the host stated that this was the first time that a drum set had been featured on this folk music program, Let's Sing Out. During the mid-60s, it was rare for any folk singers to write their own songs. And it was unheard of for a woman to write any of her own songs and really be anything but a singer. But there she was, Joni Anderson, absolutely mesmerizing the crowd and the other musicians with her own creations. The song that really stands out to me from this YouTube clip is called Born to Take the Highway. It's a great folk song. 
and the lyrics are quite telling. I was born to take the highway. I was born to chase a dream. And as we all know, for the next 40 or 50 years, she did chase that dream. I really feel blessed to have had my life intersect with her dream as many times as it has over the span of my life. So as I mentioned, I was about 14 or 15 when I first really became aware of Joni Mitchell, flipping through my mom's record collection. She only had one album by Joni Mitchell, which was Clouds. So on comes this ethereal voice, just her and a guitar. I had been aware of both sides now, but there were several songs on that album that I connected with immediately and really spoke to me as a teenager, a young teenager. And all the songs were about people just learning, learning about their feelings, learning about relationships. In fact, one of the songs is called I Think I Understand. And another song that's quite excellent is called I Don't Know Where I Stand. So I really connected with that sense of learning, trying, of infatuation, of stumbling, and starting to feel pretty strong feelings. But the song that, to me, has the most depth on that album is called The Gallery. This is a song that would seamlessly fit in on one of her later albums. It's a little bit more advanced musically, and it was a little bit more advanced lyrically. The lyrical content was just starting to get a little bit beyond those first sort of awkward, you know, newborn fawn sorts of stumblings. In this song, the lyrics were a little bit more knowing, a little bit less naive. To me, the gallery is the first hint that there may be some things that may not work out exactly as planned. There may not be some kind of fairy tale ending. So I did start to connect with this album, and I started to look for other albums by Joni Mitchell. And the first one that I picked up, just randomly, was Court and Spark. But at that time, I really only connected with the first side of the album. I was still in high school, and a song like Help Me spoke to me, because it was fun. The lyrics weren't this complete naivete, but it uh, really was about falling headlong into love and relationships. There was still that excitement over a first love. Perhaps a little trepidation, but not all that much. It wasn't until a number of years later that I discovered, really truly discovered and connected with the second side of Cord and Spark. We'll talk about that in a little bit. When I was in my first year of university, I was away from home, and I really got into her album, Blue. Now, I have to say, I have not listened to this album in several years because I almost overdid it. I almost listened to this album too often over too many years, and I almost got tired of these incredible songs. So I'm going to continue to avoid listening to it. Perhaps in the back of my mind, I'm saving it until the day that I hear that Joni has passed away. Of course, one of the aspects of this album that adds a layer of interest for me is that some of the songs are written about James Taylor because they had a relationship during the time that she was writing these songs. And it wasn't like a celebrity relationship nowadays where they get together because their publicists think it's a good idea 
and they come up with a plan for their appearances and to ensure maximum coverage on social media platforms and traditional media platforms. This was actually a real loving relationship. Certainly, Joni fell in love with James Taylor, and I think James felt strongly about her. He just happened to be a heroin addict at the time and a true asshole. Now, if you go to YouTube, there is a recording of them playing a show together at the Royal Albert Hall. And they play some of James's early hits, and they play some of Joni's early hits. And you sense that warmth and admiration for each other. It's real, and it's true. And it's really beautiful to listen to. And Joni actually sang a lot of backup on a couple of James's albums from around this time in the early 70s especially Mudslide Slim and the Blue Horizon. One song which really stands out is called Long Ago and Far Away. She just adds so much to that song. It's beautiful. So Blue is about heartbreak, and not the earlier disappointments of the gallery, but these are real, gut-wrenching, crushing heartbreaks. And yes, there is the heartbreak around the breakup of relationships, but it's about more radical hurting and disappointments. She even wrote a song about the child that she put up for adoption. How did she do that? How did she marshal the strength to not only write that song, Little Green, but put that on an album for everyone to hear? How could she open the door on her soul-crushing heartbreak it's a gift beyond measure. The album spoke to me about crushing heartbreak. The album also spoke to me about a sense of homesickness. I mean, I was away from home, living away from home for the first time. I was in a different city going to university. There were many moments of extreme loneliness, homesickness, and an overall feeling that I had lost my way. So if you listen to songs like River and California, it's not just a sense of homesickness, although there is that in copious amounts. But there's also this sense of being lost between two worlds, which is really what I felt at that time. I didn't feel at home in my new environs. And when I went back to my home city, I didn't feel quite at home there either. A couple more years later, and I rediscover the second side of Cord and Spark. Most notably, I rediscover a song called Down to You. Probably my favorite song by Joni Mitchell. This is the one you can play at my funeral, whatever. Musically, it's outstanding. It's not as stark as most of Joni's songs, especially the ones on Blue, which is really just her and a guitar or piano. This song has a lot of orchestration. It has strings. It has French horn, it has clarinet, it has an oboe. Musically, I'm somehow connected to this song. It's very hard to explain. But the first few times that I really sat down and listened to it, it was a really uncanny feeling because it felt to me that I knew exactly how the orchestration was meant to be. I understood when the strings would give way to the oboe, and I knew when the clarinet would come in and overtake the oboe. It was this sense of musical deja vu. Very difficult to explain, but 
just to say that every single note in this song is right for me. If I was some kind of musical genius, this is the song that I would write. Lyrically, this song has also meant so much to me, but it really hit home when I was in my mid-20s, and I was still sort of, you know, piecing my life together. And it really brings up some core questions of what kind of person are you, and what kind of person do you want to be, and what are you going to make of your life? It also has this melancholy, which really spoke to me in my mid to late 20s, going through some life changes where friendships were changing and some of my closest friends were walking away, dropping out of my life. This was very difficult. It was sad. This song really spoke to me about those situations and it still continues to speak to me about who I can be and who I want to be and the difference between those two. Fast forward another few years, I'm in my 30s, friends are now starting to get married, they're starting to settle down, get real jobs, even have kids, even moving out to the suburbs in some cases. People are starting to make real money and starting to accumulate, buying cool stuff and nice cars and go on fancy trips. It was at this time when I started listening to The Hissing of Summer Lawns. And one of the themes from that album is people starting to settle down and raise a family and accumulate wealth and goods and property and exploring whether or not all of those dreams are everything they've been cracked up to be. I find that this is an album where a lot of people stopped their exploration with Joni Mitchell. You know, a lot of people... They like Court and Spark, and they love Blue. But a lot fewer people make the leap and listen to and know the hissing of summer lawns. I think part of that, to be completely honest, is it's got some of the worst album art in the history of music. And I know that she does her own artwork, so that's a bit of a disappointment. But the music is incredible. Every song on this album is very, very strong. It's just as strong as Court and Spark. It's probably stronger, actually, as a full album. Now we're getting into the latter half of the 1970s. Joni Mitchell starts to get influenced by jazz. That's been well documented. She puts out an album called Hijira. The song that most people know off of this album is Coyote, mainly because she famously sang it in The Last Waltz. It was a fantastic performance. And uh, speaking of The Last Waltz, I mean, how great was she on backup vocals on Helpless and The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down? Hijira, the album, is very underrated. There are some fantastic songs on this album. And where I intersect with this album is having children, having young children, babies, toddlers. And you're sort of in that churn of the day-to-day, you know, raising young babies and toddlers And some days can be very trying and can drag on. And you're not getting a lot of sleep. You know, you wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. But when you're in the middle of all that, it's really difficult. So this album spoke to me, well, let's put it this way. One of the songs on the album, one of the best songs on the album, is called The Refuge of the Roads. And Coyote also has a lot to do with that sort of imagery around freedom of being a traveler, being out on the road. Now, one of uh, the beautiful songs on the album is called Amelia, 
It's about Amelia Earhart. So obviously talking about themes of freedom and getting out there where you're completely free and the world is your oyster. Yeah, so sometimes in the middle of the night when you're changing a diaper, you do find yourself staring out the window and dreaming about the refuge of the road. Now, I had thought that was it for me in terms of Joni Mitchell and where she and I would intersect. But I was wrong. Because just in the last couple of years, I discovered Wild Things Run Fast from 1982. So my kids are a little bit older now. We're sort of moving into yet another phase of life. And yet again, Joni speaks to me. The song Chinese Cafe Unchained Melody is one of the best songs she's ever written. It's a beautiful song. And again, it touches on the melancholy of middle age. And you bemoan all the good things that have seemingly been lost. Sometimes you speak to an old friend and you just ask each other, where did the time go? And in the outro, in the fade, Joni asks, where has the time gone? One last song I do want to mention is a song that came from the mid-90s album Turbulent Indigo. It was the single. It was called Sex Kills. And I'm sure you remember it. And I want to compare it lyrically to the song Woodstock, which she wrote 25 years, almost exactly 25 years, previous to Sex Kills. Now, the purpose of this podcast is not to put forward essays. I'm not a musicologist, but I do think it's worthwhile to compare Sex Kills with Woodstock. Now, she wrote it coming out of the L.A. riots, but from a political, societal, environmental perspective, it still rings true, even more so with the rise of Trump, climate change and climate change deniers, the billionaire class, the hyper-partisanship, the violence in our society, the racism. When the song starts, she asks if justice is just ice. And she weaves this really amazing pastiche of environmental issues where everything is too hot, everything's hazy, everything's choking. And from a societal point of view, you can feel it out in traffic. Everyone hates everyone. And how do we go from Woodstock where when she looks up in the sky, into that sky, she saw bombers turning into butterflies. And 25 years later, the only thing that she sees in the sky is a hostile sun beating down and an ulcerated ozone layer. So she goes to Woodstock to find love there, and love was everywhere, but now everyone hates everyone and you can feel it out in traffic. In Woodstock, she talks about nature. She says, we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Well, we didn't get ourselves back to the garden. In Sex Kills, she talks about the oil leaks and the gas spills. And again, the only thing in the sky is a hostile sun and the ulcerated ozone. And the way she describes people in society, in Woodstock, we're stardust, we're golden. Whereas in Sex Kills, the lyric goes, all those jack-offs at the office, the rapist in the pool. And now we're 25 years past that. And I think Joni puts into focus that all of the dreams from her hippie days, her folky days in Laurel Canyon, and all of that enthusiasm and excitement that the baby boomers had at that time, and then again around the ending of the Cold War, it was all just a mirage. 
what she taps into is this idea that if you live long enough, you'll see all of your dreams shattered and broken. Surely not the most optimistic or positive of messages, but if you want positive and uplifting, Joni Mitchell may not be for you. So that's where my journey has ended with Joni Mitchell for now. But I do know that when I'm ready, when I'm entering the next stage of life, she will be there supplying that soundtrack. And I actually know that for a fact because on her 2007 album called Shine, there's a song called This Place. And I think this is the song that will intersect with me when I basically retire. The song is about just that. She's retired from the music industry for the most part. She's moved to the country. She's turned her back on Los Angeles and on the music industry and all that craziness. She's just surrounding herself with natural beauty and quiet. And that's where she wants to be. And I think quite soon that's where I will be. So it's a really nice feeling knowing that there's going to be more and more intersections between myself and Joni Mitchell's music to come. It's a comforting feeling, knowing that we're not quite done yet. So I'm not sure if you got anything out of this. This was the podcast that was doomed to failure from the start. No matter what I talked about, no matter what I put in or took out or how I edited it, it was never going to satisfy me. It was never really going to satisfy you. Because we have such strong feelings towards her music. I hope, if nothing else, maybe this just gave you the energy or the inspiration to keep discovering some of those other albums, her later albums, or her earlier albums for that matter, but especially The Hissing of Summer Lawns, a little bit of Hajira, that song Down to You, and Chinese Cafe Unchained Melody. That would just make me really happy, and then I'll feel like this podcast accomplished something. So thanks for listening. We're going to be back quite soon with another Rock Gods Living Funeral podcast. We're going to have John Wardle back. We're going to be talking about Motley Crew. You do not want to miss it. It's just going to be me and John in the conversation live. So until then, we'll see you later. <laughs>